You can support The Historian's Podcast on our GoFundMe page. Find the link on our homepage, which is bobcudmore.com. My name is Devin Lander. I'm the New York State Historian, and it's an honor for me to be a guest on The Historian's Podcast. I think probably the most important thing that I'm working on right now is related to the 250th anniversary of the American Revolution, which is coming up very quickly in 2026. And we have been working on planning and the creation of a commission at the New York State level. Uh, And I've also been working with America 250, which is the national commission and organization tasked with commemorating the 250th at the federal level. This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore, and the New York State historian Devin Lander is with us. And that's what I was going to ask you about at the beginning anyway, because I've I've seen the 250th anniversary mentioned in some of the publications uh, from your office. And being a, I don't know what, a stickler for some kind of detail, I kept thinking to myself, well, what do they mean by the 250th what? So it sounds like what we're... Uh, commemorating is the Declaration of Independence, uh, 1776? Yes. Well, that's somewhat up for debate. So the Federal Commission, again called America 250, is essentially commemorating the Declaration of Independence, 1776. So their main focus is going to be on 2026. Now, many states, including New York, are looking at commemorating the entirety of the revolution, so 1776 to 1783. And in some cases, like New York again, and Massachusetts is another example, are even beginning their commemoration uh, a little bit earlier. So the commission uh, legislation that has recently been signed by the governor actually begins the commemoration in New York State in 2025. So that would be 1775. And there's many debates as to, uh, should we start earlier? (laughs) Sure, should we start later? Um, But um, I I think that's a good, uh, it's a good uh, time period to focus on. And um, obviously, um, you you know, including actions leading up to the Declaration of Independence. And then, of course, in New York, we have so many relevant sites and uh, battles and uh, entire campaigns were waged during the the Revolutionary War itself. There's many things to talk about uh, every year, really, going from 1775 to 1783. Yeah. Uh, In fact, I'd I'd advocate for 1775 to start, and you say maybe earlier. And then the, the end of it, that would take us if seventeen, if it's seventeen eighty-three, I've already done the math, so I don't think I made a mistake. <laughs> if you add two fifty to that, that would be the year twenty thirty-three. Would be when we'd wrap this up. Yes, in fact, the legislation uh, sunsets in twenty thirty-three, so it's um, a very ambitious and long commemoration, depending on how we we end up, uh, you know, kind of conceptualizing what we mean by commemoration, whether it's a series of programs every year, whether it's a sig- one signature large event or program, whether it's programs you know, spread around the state, which is, which is kind of the ideal, in my mind anyway, the ideal way to, to look at it. it. It is a, 
is essentially an eight-year commemoration. And I know know you're working on this, but what's what is going to be like? I'm old enough to remember 1976, right, which was the bicentennial. Since I worked in radio, what I mainly remember is we used to carry this series of reports from some, some like a little radio theater with a a man who kind of followed all the battles of the of the uh, Revolutionary War. What, what are we? What are you going to do, or what are the kinds of things you're working on? You know, really, what the commission will be tasked with doing uh, is, is creating a plan. Uh, and we we have been looking, actually, and I personally have been looking at uh, many of the archival records related to the Bicentennial Commission, the New York State Bicentennial Commission, and its work, and um, you know, drawing some some lines from from what was successful there and, and, and to today, and what we could do today. Of course, things have changed a lot uh, with technology and the ability to to do more virtual programming and virtual exhibits. There's kind of a limitless opportunity in that regard. But I think the commission and and what the discussions have been, certainly at the state level, is looking to kind of facilitate actions on on the the local level. So that could be programming related to the 250th. It could be reenactments related to Mm -hmm. the 250th. It could be conferences and public displays and exhibits and it really is an endless opportunity. Now, some some regions are moving in their own direction, which I think is a very good thing, by creating their own commissions. Uh, for example, Saratoga County, uh, Dutchess County, under the, the guidance of the Dutchess County historian, is moving in that direction. The I, I mentioned Saratoga County under the leadership of the county historian, Lauren Roberts, uh, Orange County, under its uh, county historian. Uh, th- so there's there's regions of the state and, and counties that are creating a, their own commission. Uh, and in the case of Westchester County, actually, uh, its own not-for-profit called Revolutionary Westchester 250 uh, that are starting to plan on the regional level. And that's really where I think the statewide, a statewide commission is going to get its its information from is what what is needed at the local level and what is mm-hmm. what what do the regions and, and counties want to see happen and uh, what type of planning is is going on there now at the same time America 250 is ramping up its its activity and and all of us have been obviously dealt with COVID uh, for the past two years so it's really slowed things down both at the state level and I, I and I really think at the national level as well, but they're really staffing up now and, and uh, providing uh, regional meetings on a regular basis. So we, being New York, we, we're, we belong to two regions, New England and the Mid-Atlantic. Mid- How <laughs> did that happen? Diver- well, I think people try to claim New York, you know, everybody wants to see what we're going to do. So, uh, so, so we've been having meetings uh, at the uh, via Zoom with our our colleagues in our neighboring states and uh, talking about ways to uh, kind of cross promote or in some cases uh, work together directly uh, on on um, commemoration events. For example, Vermont obviously was part of New York during the the, the era of the American Revolution, and uh, really, um, y- y- you know, was is, is closely tied to things that we're going to be talking about in the Champlain Valley and, and northern 
uh, north country of, of New York. Um, you can't really, you know, there, there wasn't necessarily a border that uh, there at that time. So we're really talking about this this uh, opportunity to collaborate with Vermont as as they gear up and and other partners, uh, Pennsylvania. New Jersey, both of those states have had a commission for for at least a year, some cases two years. Massachusetts has had one for a few years now. We're kind of discussing with each other what kind of best mm-hmm. practices are happening. One of the first things we're doing and we're working on now is creating a centralized website uh, for the New York's uh, 250th commemoration. Mm-hmm. This will include uh, events calendar, news, information, uh, any kind of funding that comes available as as uh, the federal government starts loosening funding, if and when that happens, mm-hmm. when the state has funding, things like that. So uh, so that's all, all happening sure. now. And, and we've been uh, convening a meeting of a working group, which I formed uh, of, of uh, folks around the state, local historians, historical societies, museums, academic historians, teachers, people interested in this. And we've been meeting via Zoom uh, over this COVID uh, pandemic, and really is an opportunity to talk to each other about, and to for me to listen up to the field and, and hear like what their hopes and aspirations are for this and what type of support they would need and what type mm-hmm. of ideas they're considering, what type of programming and all of that. So it's it's uh, it's one of those uh, situations. I think because of COVID, not that we use it as an excuse, but there it was very much talking about it for for a couple years and not a lot of action. But now, especially with the legislation kind of making the commission uh, an actual entity, now I think we're going to see a lot more action and uh, some planning and hopefully some resources. Sure. Who's going to pay for this? Well, the federal government is most likely, and again, we don't have confirmation from America 250, but their expectation is that Congress will provide some funding to the states, and then the the hope is that the states will also provide funding. But there's also uh, the legislation in New York has uh, in its language uh, one of the the commissioners or the responsibilities of the commission is to raise private funding too. So there's opportunity for public private partnerships. Certainly that's a emphasis at the America 250 level as well. Many of the commissioners of the federal commission are actually from the business and entertainment community. So they're working with partnerships with entities like the NFL, major league baseball, things like that to, to again, gather resources and and provide these partnerships even if it's could be indirect resource uh, such as advertising or or um, programming related to America 250 that airs at mm-hmm. an NFL game or something. So that's all being uh, discussed as well and and um you know that's as we know it's it's a it's hard to navigate that sometimes but um I think we're we're able to have those conversations now and we're starting to again, look at what uh, the expectation would be so that we can try to estimate what kind of resources Mm -hmm. may be needed. Devin Lander with us, the New York State historian. Uh, We're told all the time now that we live in a very uh, divided country. And 
the American Revolution seems to be kind of settled history, but is it? It seems to me that all these activities will run into some, I don't know what, difficulty uh, in deciding what story to tell. And is it really as good as we heard it when we were kids? I absolutely agree with that. And I think that um, it is not decided history. And I think uh, history is always being reinterpreted and uh, reevaluated throughout the ages. And the American Revolution is no different. And I think it is a, a, a contentious time. And I think that um, our approach in New York is is to be as inclusive as possible and 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 tell the 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 true aspects of the history as much as possible and and allow for some of the things that were not emphasized in the past to really uh, have a place in this. For example, the legislation that New York is is uh, working off of for the commission includes consultation with the Native American nations. And obviously their interpretation and their experience during the American Revolution uh, was different than the colonists or the loyalists Mm -hmm. or, or, and and even different among the different nations, the different tribes. So uh, very complicated, but, but also as part of the story, obviously New York was hugely influenced by the Haudenosaunee Confederacy and its existence and its uh, its uh, force, really, and, and it's it, the way it uh, defined the frontier and, and the alliances and, and all of that was, was so much a part of the New York story that um, that needs to be part of, of the history we tell. And in the past, that hadn't necessarily been the case. There was an emphasis on you know the founding fathers and the the glorious battles of perhaps Saratoga and that the, the the victories and 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 the messy history was kind of you know de-emphasized and and our our approach is at this point and and, mm-hmm. and very much a passion of mine is to be as truthful to the history as as we possibly can and and telling these stories and and then talking about the revolution itself and kind of a larger you know, concept of, you know, who was the revolution for, who who was who benefited, who didn't benefit, uh, why was that, and then how has the revolution changed over time and the ideals of revolution that continued throughout our nation's history. So we really can talk about the revolutionary era itself, and then we can talk about the 250 years since then and the, the various struggles for the ideals of liberty and equality that have taken place in New York. Uh, I'm thinking the suffrage movement as, as, a, as a main emphasis, the abolitionist movement, uh, and on and on, really, and, and how those connect to these kind of ideals of the revolution, which in, in and of itself was obviously imperfect. Mm. Devin Lander is with us, New York State historian. Let me ask you about yourself and about your job now. Um, you, how long have you been the state historian? I was uh, made the state historian in May of 2016, so I'm entering my sixth year as state historian. And before you, there was another state historian. In other words, this has been a government position or uh, for some time? Yes. Actually, New York has had a state historian, and not consistently. <laughs> There's been gaps, but uh, really since 1895, 
Um, and it was, it's the, the oldest state historian position in the country, so it was the first. And uh, really, um, you know, the, it started out as a, an appointed position by the governor, uh, but but in 1911, the state ed department took it over, um, and it became a uh, position within state ed, which is where I work now. I work for the New York State Museum, which is uh, part of the state education department here in New York. So, um, yeah, so New York has, has had a long history of uh, a state historian position, and, uh, you know, I'm very honored, obviously, to be to be in this position and to look at the past work of of our state historians and, and see some of the great things that have happened. The state historian, for example, took the lead during the bicentennial era um, and was, you know, essentially overseeing that uh, for for the state and and other commemorations that have taken place even previous to that, um, the 150th, for example, and really onwards. So, yeah. So you're appointed by the state education department or as state historian? Well, I'm actually uh, hired. Yeah, it's not an appointed position. It's actually uh, hired by the state museum and state department is our agency that oversees the state museum. And let me ask you about uh, you. You have a master's in public history at uh, SUNY Albany, bachelor's at uh, SUNY Plattsburgh. You, before you were state historian, you were working, uh, you were the director of the Museum Association of New York. Well, what is that, or how does that prepare you for what you're doing now? A bit on the education. I, I'm actually a Ph.D. candidate right now at, at University at Albany, so I, I'm, uh, I passed my comprehensive exams two weeks ago, so I'm very excited Good. to be on the dissertation stage. Yeah, it's a lifelong goal. It's something I've always wanted to achieve, and I, I decided to go with the uh, public history route which has been very useful to me and and now I'm I'm hopefully going to be completing the doctorate uh, but yes the museum association is a not-for-profit organization based in Troy that uh, really is a membership organization representing all of the museums zoos botanical gardens and aquariums in New York State uh, from the very large like the Met- the Met in New York City and the Museum of Natural History to the very small local historical society or or small museum, a community museum. So uh, that job really gave me an opportunity to deal with the field uh, of museums directly and advocate on their behalf and work to really the job of Manny is to, is to uh, help strengthen that community. So there's there's advocacy, there's uh, we had they had a they have still a conference every year that brings museum professionals together from around the state and really from around the country uh, to do um, professional development and best practices and they do uh, grant they administer grant program for museums small grant program for museums and and on and on and uh, so that that was a great. Um, stepping stone or, or opportunity for me and prepared me to to deal with the field, um, although I was dealing specifically with the museum community, uh, but that makes us so much of the historical community. Now, as state historian, the other piece of that uh, that I deal with is the local government historians, which, again, New York was the first state in the nation to create legislation that would allow for every municipality in the state, village, town, city, 
five boroughs eventually came later, uh, to have a local government historian. So that, to me, is a, an exciting piece of this puzzle, and we have a robust community of local government historians who who are doing work in their municipality on their municipality's history, and it gives us, as the state, a network of historians that we can work with on massive projects like the commemoration, for example, the 250th. Uh, I'm going to be working and 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 hope, hopefully very closely with our local historians on uh, on this mm-hmm. planning, and many of them are on. The working group and have been, you know, very active. I mentioned several of our county historians who are overseeing their 250th commemorations. Um, but it's a it's a network of public historians that is uh, somewhat unique. I believe Connecticut now has the same thing, but they theirs came much later. Our our law passed in 1919, and uh, mm-hmm. Connecticut passed theirs in 1987. So anyway, um, so that's that's part of it as well. So uh, I do oversee museum chartering for the state museum. So the Board of Regents charters uh, museums in the state of New York as educational corporations, which is, again, different than other states do. Um, And uh, we oversee that here, and and that's part of my duties as well. So I have a a background in the museum community and also working with our local historians. Talking with Devin Lander, New York State historian, You've used the phrase a public history or public historian. That means like the folks who were the historian of the uh, county of Schenectady, for example, or the city of Buffalo? Yes. Well, public historian is kind of a umbrella term. Local government historian would be, uh, you, you know, city or municipality appointed, county appointed uh, position uh, but they, I would consider them to be public historians. And a public historian is, is anyone who is creating history or, or, or uh, interpreting history for the public. So museum professional, uh, exhibit designer, um, it can be done podcast. Yeah, I would consider you to be a public historian. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really a public, uh, it's, it's history that is, intended for a public audience rather mm. than purely an academic audience. I would think that I would be considered an independent historian. Uh, it says here in your bio that you were, as an independent historian, you did a publication about the Millbrook Commune in the 1960s in Dutchess County. Yes. Well, yeah, that, that is true as well. An independent historian would be somebody who is not necessarily affiliated with either a university or an institution, a museum, a, a county government, or something like that. And at the time I, that I published that, I, I was not associated with any uh, museum or um, institution other than I was employed by the state assembly, but I was doing that work on on my own and and that was uh that's actually the the topic of my dissertation now so really i'm doing I was gonna ask long... you were, were you part of the commune <laughs> oh no much i i <laughs> uh that happened uh 63 to 68 and uh i was born in 1977 so oh, I, <laughs> I, came, I came much later no i i i've just ha- i've had an interest in the topic going back to my undergraduate days and um really uh, uh, have been working on this off and on since then. And in the last, since I've been in the PhD program, I've been 
refocused on it and, and expanding it into a much more um, robust project, which I hope, you know, which will be my dissertation. And really? uh, I've been doing a, a, a series of oral histories over the years of people who were associated with the commune or or lived in the the village of Millbrook at the time, because I'm really emphasizing the relationship between the commune and and the the people who lived uh, alongside it in, in Millbrook. You mentioned um, I'm a podcaster, but so were you, right? You and and Lauren Roberts in particular, right? Is she still doing them with you? You produce uh, podcasts about New York State history. Yes, it's called a New York Minute in History, and and Lauren is is the co-host and my my colleague and uh, co-researcher. So the two of us uh, do the come up with the uh, the idea for the episodes and uh, and do the research. and And right now, um, and and starting last season, the uh, podcast is solely sponsored by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. <clears throat> Excuse me which uh, is based in Syracuse, and uh, many of your listeners will know them as as the entity who now puts up historic markers and uh, does many other things uh, on behalf of history. So the William G. Pomeroy Foundation uh, has uh, sponsored the, the uh, podcast since the beginning. Uh, they were a co-sponsor with Humanities New York, and now they're the sole sponsor, and we redesigned the podcast to focus each episode on a Pomeroy marker as our entry point into the topic. And because they have so many markers scattered around the state on so many interesting and fascinating aspects of local history, we have an almost unending supply of material. So, uh, so yeah, we are uh, st- just starting season two, uh, or season two as uh, the Pomeroy Foundation uh, sponsor. And uh, we recorded our, our episode this week, and it should be out by the end of the month. And uh, very exciting. And, and again, we're, we're uh, very happy to, to continue this and to uh, see where it takes us, mm-hmm. as, as I'm sure you are. It's always fascinating to speak to people uh, who are doing work on these specific topics and to speak to the, the, the folks at the local level who applied for the Pomeroy marker that were focusing on and and learn about why they did and how relevant the history is to their local community and and why they wanted to commemorate it. So it's been uh, very rewarding, continues to be. Our our producer is WAMC here in Albany, the NPR station. Uh, They do all of the production for us and uh, done a great job, and and they host the podcast on their website, and it's also available wherever you can get a podcast, so iTunes and elsewhere. And at one point, in looking at your bio, you were working on interpretive sign topics. So this is an interest of yours. Yes, yeah. Very early in my my career, even as an intern, I I was an intern at uh, Peebles Island, which is part of the Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation here in New York. And uh, I worked for the interpretation unit that created interpretive signs for our state parks. And uh, that's really where uh, and eventually uh, uh, got to be paid for for doing it. I started as an unpaid intern, and uh, it was really uh, an eye-opening experience and taught me so much about how to write interpretive text and for a general audience, uh, uh, for your average park goer. So those 
markers that you see in state parks throughout the state. Uh, those types of uh, sometimes they're single panel, sometimes double panel, uh, sometimes more. Uh, but but really focusing the story in in a small amount of space and and using a few images. So that was a great experience for me. Taught me so much uh, as I was transitioning out of graduate school and into the real world, you know, it taught me how to take the uh, what I learned in graduate school and apply it to uh, something like uh, the, these, the creation of these signs. So I worked with Audrey Neeson at State Parks, who taught me just so much about how to write concisely and, and for a general audience. And and Greg Smith, who's who's now there, and and everybody at Peebles Island was mm-hmm. was very supportive. So yeah, that's a, it's kind of a roundabout way that uh, you know we're we're still talking about historic markers, obviously interpretive signs, interpretive panels. So it's still something that uh, I'm deeply involved with. Our guest has been Devin Lander, the New York State historian. You've been listening to the Historians Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.